You're listening to Westside Church. For more information, visit us at westsideinfo.com. Okay. Well, happy new year. Does anybody like to do resolutions? A couple of you end up over here. <laughs> I've never really done resolutions, but I'm, I'm happy you do. Um, I, I'm never really good at following them, so I figure why not, why would I do them in the first place? Um, but I've enjoyed taking this time to usually take a breath and to reconsider of what's going on and how things have been played out because the holiday seasons, at least for the last 14 years of my marriage, has been a mad dash. Um, Big family, I already come from a big family, married into a big family, and so it's always a lot around the holidays, a lot going on, Um, and even more now being in a big church family as well. And so thinking about all the stuff that we're doing, 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 and then we get to take a breath as we get to January. And I really enjoy that moment to try to reflect and reconsider on um, what are really the most important things. Uh, There's a lot of big plans for this last week. Uh, We have four children, so that means an incredible overabundance of toys um, that come around this season. And so I was declaring a great purge upon the household, and there would be clearing out, and things would be gone, and none of that happened. And I'm actually glad. (laughs) I'm I'm glad it didn't, um, because we really just took time to slow down more, spend time together, relax a little bit, have visit with friends and family, play games. And it was better. It was better doing that than just focusing on all the things that I thought we needed to do or we should do. Um, And that's really the the heart of the message um, today is what really matters. Um, And it's been kind of brewing for the last couple weeks now. And as I was preparing for this message, because I I can't stand to not be prepared for something. Winging it's just not in my arsenal. Um, So I've prepared four pages of notes on things. And as I'm going through it this week, I just thought, is this what we're supposed to do? Is this how we're supposed to go about it this week? Um, I've really just been praying for the last couple of days, like, Lord, I just need you to show up and tell me exactly what we need to do for today. So I'll let you know when I hear clearly on what we're supposed to do. (laughs) But I figured we would start with the word. So out of Genesis 15, beginning in verse 1. Now, a little bit of a recap from chapter 14. Abraham has just come back from rescuing all the people of the land. I think, I believe it was 13 different people groups that were being, that were overrun by the four kings of the Mesopotamian area. Um, They're headed back home. Abraham comes behind with his allies. He takes them all out with the help of God. He brings everybody back and he gives up any potential spoils of it. He's not going to have his increase come from anyone but the Lord. He's putting his faith entirely in God. Um, It's a very not human, normal thing to do, particularly of this time, to not put his faith in his things, but dedicate it wholly to the Lord. And so this is where we open up with this passage today. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. 
And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these things, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And the sun was going down, and as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I will give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. And that's the passage for today. You may all go home. No. You must stay. I'm still going to talk. Um, as I was reflecting on this, it really stood out to me, that question, what is actually important? What are the most important things? How should we be spending our time? What should occupy our thoughts? What should be driving us through our lives? What are the most important things? And this passage is really divided into two parts. One is a reminder of that question. And the second is a foreshadowing, a promising of what's to come. And I was considering the passage as it comes off of this great um, victory that Abraham had, this um, being defended by the Lord, is he really should be on top of the world. He's done an impossible thing. He's a hero in the whole land. He should be on the heights of things. And God's coming and saying, Abraham, you don't have to be afraid. I am your shield. I will be with you. Your reward is going to be very great because Abram's just given up all the, all the spoil, all the money, all the possessions. He just gave it all up. And God's saying, don't worry, Abram. I will be there for you. I will prosper you. And Abram's response isn't, yes, God. No, it's, Lord, what does any of that matter? It's really a moment you see the true place of where Abram's heart is. God, what does any of that matter? What could you possibly give me? Because the cry of Abram's heart is for family. He would like a son. He wants his line to continue. Because what did, what did God call Abram to give up? He gave up all his family. He left his homeland. He gave up all of his people. He's a sojourner. He's in a land filled with people that are not his own. He said, Lord, what is it? What is all the victories, all the possessions? What does any of that matter? 
This is the cry of Abram's heart. And when we think about ourselves and we think about the people we come in contact with, whether they're believers or not, they might be chasing after something, whether it be possessions or wealth or power or prestige or a great name. That's usually not the heart of what they're chasing after. When you really get to the root of it, we have people that are looking for acceptance. They want to be accepted for who they are. They want to be able to be in a place where they can just be. They want to be surrounded by people who love them. They want a place that they can call home, a place that's their own. They want love. They want people to be genuine. They don't want people to love them for what they can do for them. They want family. They want friends. Truly, they want the simple things in life. And mostly, they, they want their life to mean something. And it can be meaningful in many different ways. But they don't want to go through their life and have it be nothing and just be forgotten and just be that dust and that breath in the air that we're so often referred to. And this is the cry of the human heart. Lord, what does is, what is any of that matter in light of this cry of my heart? And then like a good father, God responds to him. And it just, it just jumped out at me so clearly. It was reminiscent of when I'm planning on doing something with my children. Two of them are right here. And a little bit of background. My truck only has one seat in it for kids. And we have four children. So it's high honor to get to ride in that seat in the truck. And that's what's really important to them. To me, it's like, why? That's like such a minor thing. But to them, it's really important. And so when, we're, when I'm talking about something we're going to go to do, and I'm going to take them, and we're going to go here, and we're going to go there, and we're going to go shopping, and we're going to get this for mommy, and we're going to go get this food, and it's going to be a great adventure, and we're gonna, we'll go get a treat, and we'll get a special toy or something, and all this stuff that I think is going to be, they're going to get excited about and they respond usually with, but I get to ride with you, right? Because that's the most important thing. That's the cry of their heart. It's not about all the stuff that I think they're going to be excited about. I get to ride with you, right? And in my mind, I'm thinking, of course you are. I didn't even think I needed to mention that. And this is exactly what we see God do. He says, Abram, come outside. Look to heaven. You see all of those stars? That's your offspring. That's how I'm doing all of this, Abram. Of course you're going to have a son. Because that's how you're going to be the blessing. That's how I'm going to protect you, is that you will be surrounded by multitudes, so many people, so much family. It will be without number. And I'll bless the whole earth through you. Of course that's how we're doing this, son. Like, but how will I know? And he makes a promise to him. A promise to him that Abraham doesn't have to keep. He doesn't have to uphold anything. That's, that's the significance of what's happening on the second half of this chapter. It's a covenant. A cutting of the covenant where they actually cut the beasts in half and they would have walked through together. And it was something they did together. But God put Abram in a deep trance-like state. That word that's used there is used several times in Scripture. It's always for that same. It's a dreamlike state in which God communicates with mankind. 
and he puts Abraham there, and God passes through, and he promises Abraham some incredible things. One, that you're going to die in a good, ripe old age in peace, and Abraham lives to be 175 years old, and he dies in peace surrounded by family. But also that your family, Abram, is, they're going to go through some tough times. They're going to learn to know what it's like to be people in a land that's not their own. They're going to become slaves for 400 years, but I will bring them out of this so that they might know that experience. They might understand trials and tribulations, and they will be saved out of it. And I will give them this land, and it will be their possession forevermore. I was considering the things that God's promising, the things that he's talking about. What are these most important things? And I came up with three. The three things that boils down to the call of our hearts at its core. It's a cry for a place, for a people, and for God. And the cry of the human heart, that void that can't be filled by anything else. No amount of possessions, no, matter, no amount of fun, no amount of pleasure, no amount of wealth, no amount of prestige or power or achievement ever fills those spaces in our heart for a place, a people, and your God. And when God talks about these things, when he talks about this place, he's giving them a place. And he'll give you a place. But one of the things we have to realize in that is that it's not always what it might seem at first. The things that we think we need is, are usually not what we actually need. But a place is often that phrase, uh, home is where the heart is. It doesn't have to be the big home. It doesn't have to be in the right neighborhood. It doesn't have to be in the right area. But it needs to be where there's love. It needs to be where there's people to share it with, where you have community, where your name is known, where you're surrounded by people, because we're never called to be alone. Home is where the heart is. And God has promised them this very thing, and he promises this to you as well. You can have a place, and if you're here, you have a place. You have a home. And it's not because we live in a beautiful area, which we do, where the weather tries to kill you, and the next day it's beautiful. And it's not because of the politics in the area, and it's not because of anything, any of those little things that don't actually matter. It's because you are known here. It's because you can actually call somebody and they'll pick up the phone. People will reach out when they don't need anything. That's such a strange thing for people. I realized years ago, I started doing that. I would reach out and say, hi, how are you? You know, fine. <laughs> what do you need? <laughs> Nothing. I was just saying hi. Oh, okay. I used to do this quite a bit more often. Um, and I would send Jack messages. He's right over here. And he got used to it. Um, but then I started sending messages to Nick, Emily's husband. And he didn't know what was going on, but he was working with Jack. And Jack's like, no, it's normal. It's okay. He doesn't want anything. <laughs> but that's what you can find here. You can find people that actually would just say hello with no agenda, with no alternative motive, just people that genuinely want to be your friend. There is a place for you. There is a people, a people to call your own, a people where you can be who you are, 
all the weirdness. Because admit it, you're all weird. We're all weird in our own ways. And you can be accepted. And how wonderful it is that when you find that place where you can just be you. Where you can take off the mask that you think everyone wants to see. And you can just be who you are. And to not put on pretense and not put on a show and to not feel like you have to, because you shouldn't have to, to just be who you are. And then that cry in our heart for God. And so when God actually responds to Abraham and he makes this promise to him and Abraham believes, this is one of those foundational passages that we refer to Abraham being the father of faith. It's because Abraham was promised an incredible thing that he was never in his lifetime going to see. He was going to see a son, but he wasn't going to see descendants as numerous as the stars. He wasn't going to see the land owned by his family. He was promised, this isn't going to be for hundreds of years, Abram. But he believed nonetheless. And he's right there with Noah and doing something crazy despite everything else in the world saying this isn't going to happen. He believed he had faith. And for all of us, there's a measure of faith that we must have. All of us, no matter whether we believe God or we don't believe God, have faith. And that's, uh, that's become so clear to me out of Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11, where it says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. And he has put eternity into man's heart, but made it so that he may not know the beginning from the end. And how unfair is that? <laughs> to think about that. Every one of us understands eternity, this idea of foreverness, this idea of beginning, this idea of an end, but you cannot know how the beginning happened. Yeah. There's no way to know it, to be assured. It is taken on faith, whether you believe in the, um, the, what science has presented or you believed what God has presented or the combination of the two, you have to take it on faith because no one was there but God. And we have evidence for things, but at the end of the day, we weren't there. And unless Jesus comes back, you're not going to be here at the end either. You have to take it on faith that this is how it's going to come about to be. And it's faith that all of us must stand upon. Out of Hebrews 11, it says, It is impossible to please God without faith. We have to believe. We have to believe in the Lord. And he calls us to be righteous. And when I, when I read that word righteousness, I thought, that's just such Christianese. What does that even mean? Righteousness. And it's actually far simpler than I think we make it out often to be. Because we, we often refer to righteousness as the entire Bible and the entire law and everything. But I looked at a few different passages and I came, I came to these. Isaiah 48, 32 and Matthew 22. Isaiah 48 says, Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord your God, who teaches you to profit, who leads you in the way you should go. Oh, that you had paid attention to my commandments, then your peace would have been like a river, and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. Isaiah 32, And the effect of righteousness will be peace. And the result of righteousness, quietness, and trust forevermore. Matthew 22, 
And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So what is righteousness? Righteousness is the way you should go. Righteousness is the desire of God for your life. Follow my way. What does that boil down to? Love God. Believe in his name. Accept who he is. Accept his forgiveness. Turn from our way and towards the Lord. Love God with everything. And love others as yourself. And you'll know you're following this when your actions result in peace and not confrontation, not dysfunction, not disorder, not war. It'll result in peace when you do things, when you interact with people. To bring, your actions will bring people together. And it will bring quietness, which I thought was interesting, But because we we're, t- we're told to leave peaceful, lead peaceful and quiet lives. Quietness is the absence of chaos. We're not meant to live in disorder and dysfunction and all of this drama that goes about in life. We're meant to live in quietness, peaceful quietness, enjoying this time together. And last, it will bring trust. Your actions will cause people to trust you, not raise suspicion. This is the result of righteousness. This is the result of loving God with everything and loving others as yourselves. You will have a life filled with peace as much as you can live in peace. We can't control anyone else. Quietness, not disorder, and full of trust where people know who you are. They believe you at your word. There's no questioning of you because you have proven yourself faithful seeking after the righteousness of God. And so I want to close with that same question. What is actually important? A people, a place, and God. Out of Romans 12, 9, it says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love of one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. It's a call to us as we, as we enter into this new year, this new beginnings, to return, actually. Return back to these simpler things these basic truths that God has for us, to love one another, to not be so focused on all of the things that we think we need to do, 
that we think are so very important, but in the end, nobody wishes they had more of. To consider the things that can't be easily replaced. A job, although important, can be replaced. A family is not easily replaced. A vehicle, stuff, a house, those can be replaced. A place where you belong cannot be easily replaced. Ideas, information, being up to date on everything, that's all passing. It's old news tomorrow. The truths of the Lord cannot be replaced. Out of Matthew 6, it says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for this day is its own trouble. Amen.